thank you for tuning your dial into the first episode of Bandwidth Coast to Coast. When I was thinking about starting this series, I thought that I wanted to start it by going backwards to another crisis that struck us suddenly. I didn't want to think about what got us there or the immense shift in policy, legislature, and culture that came from it, but instead I wanted to focus on a human story. We've all been going through this pandemic in one way or another, feeling the panic. Most of us experienced a palpable concern going to the grocery store for the first time during lockdown, or rolling down the streets and seeing all the stores closed, the fear, the uncertainty, the chaos. Now, imagine if you can, losing your internet access, no television, no access to any outside information. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not reaching for your phone? It's hard for me. I wanted to talk to someone that was there, on the ground, not too far from where the Twin Towers fell. A story about what life is like, how it changed suddenly, and what living through a moment that, in his words, felt too big to panic. My good friend Rowan tells a story about what his life was like before the attack, how he lived those days following, open acts of community, and horror, along with lasting effect that it had on him since. Enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. What we what we were going to talk about was 9-11, which is mm. another one of those moments that I think is an obvious, it's an obvious paradigm shift that I do think people think about still, but I don't think they think about its effects. I think that's absolutely what I've noticed in the last six months. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You say you've noticed that. And why would you say that? Because of the the governmental response to public protest has been facilitated by, by um, what was set in motion after 9-11, which was the justification, which, is, which was the policification of society, which is the militarization of police and the justification for police state behavior essentially and the, the acceptance the, the 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 widespread acceptance of it also the abuse of the uh executive branch all things that happened because of 9-11 um every president since 9-11 has abused the executive branch more so than prior presidents and in terms of executive or- orders for example but also just like Essentially, well, this didn't start since 9-11, but, um, you know, using the uh, 90-day security, um, like the um, security action kind of uh, uh, the loop, loophole, loophole to military uh, action. I, I mean, I mean the, um, the ability for a president to cl- declare a state of emergency and send the U.S. military to yeah. a foreign country without getting uh, permission for war from Congress. So that's not directly related to 9-11 because we actually did get permission um, from Congress to go to- Right, the causes belli. The causes belli. But I, I, think it's, I think it's more the internal effects of 9-11 that I've noticed um, rearing their heads since the Black Lives Matter protests, for example, and also to some extent 
the COVID protests, I think, on both mm-hmm. on both those fronts. That's in, that's interesting. I I would. That's another. That's another interesting uh, duality of the overt expression of paradigm shift that happened with 9-11 and I would say the subvert which of the executive branch in particular and I would say it started with Johnson I think the imperial presidency started with Johnson Mm -hmm. and I think that Johnson very quickly and then very subtly started taking more uh, power to the executive branch and then you you saw it like you saw the oper- the chaos breeding the opportunity to all of a sudden say like guess what we're just gonna grab the rest of it even though this is what we've been, been doing before but that's I think that's a great a great point um, you know when I think of like the day of nine eleven I was young and mm-hmm. I think of just how I remember the look on like parents faces at school when they were coming to take their kids out of the day early yeah and i just remember them looking distraught mm-hmm. and like i've seen that look i saw that look on people's faces because my parents and like my like uh strained upbringing so i had understood what to see somebody to really like, seen an adult really distraught or see someone who was older really distraught it, it wasn't something that i hadn't seen before but it was something that i'd never seen on anyone outside the house yeah. so to see these people like openly in public just like shook right Mm -hmm. uh that really stuck with me um and it's something that i would say like i started seeing it again with covid right i started like going i remember going to the grocery store when it was coming out and like walking through the aisles and like i would see some people that were just running to get stuff and i would see other people that look like zombies and just look like i don't know what to do you know and I wonder what that was like for you. So mm-hmm. you lived in Manhattan when this happened, right? In I 2001. Did. I did, yeah. So I I want you to like think about your life in June of 2001. Mhm. What was your normal waking up cycle? I would wake up between eight and 10 in the morning on, on pretty much every day, including weekdays. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. My, my, uh, my workplace, I worked in like a, the classic dot com digital agency. Um, and I think in that era, especially digital agencies and tech startups, uh, starting their workday at 11 was not uncommon. Hmm. So, so across, like company wide. Company wide, yeah, you, you could huh. you could work either nine to five or eleven to seven. There's a lot of freedom around that. So, yeah, and I, I at the time I lived on Orchard and Stanton, which is a block off of Houston, which is um, by, like if I'm uh, looking at Manhattan as a knife, like an upside down butter knife. Where right. are you on the butter knife? You're you're a little bit towards the serrated edge, and uh, about four-fifths towards the bottom i think okay and the serrated edge is the east side of it yeah that's right okay so if yeah. upside down butter butter knife <laughs> yeah, upside down butter knife go because you're I think like it, a third from the upside. bottom on the on the east side that's about that yeah okay yeah. so yeah so um 
And then the, you know, I would walk across the, that was the Lower East Side. What was your breakfast? Breakfast, there was a, um, there was an Israeli cafe. So not so much a Jewish cafe, but an Israeli cafe. Yeah. Um, and they just, just made really good, like French pastries and coffee. So, so that was a daily ritual. It was a, it was a daily ritual. Um, there was Russ and Daughters about a block away, which is kind of like landmark uh, Jewish deli um, from the old from the old days that hasn't really changed, and just amazing bagels. And so that was right there too. Um, I was wondering so, if you had bagels and where you where you were getting them from. That was actually I was curious. Bagels and, and schmears, yeah. yeah, right around the corner, mm-hmm. Russ and Daughters. Um, yeah, that was it for the most part. It was always something off the street because. That was just, there was lots of, if I missed either one of those, I would walk through Nolita and then walk through Chinatown slash Little Italy, which are kind of the same thing now, and to Soho, which is where my office was. So there's lots of places to eat on the street, <laughs> bagels usually. Okay. So then you, you got it. You got a bagel. I'm going to go with the bagel. You got a bagel sure. and you uh, walk to the office. Did you walk to your office? Did you take a subway? I usually walked every now and then I'd grab a cab if I was running late for a meeting or something, but I usually walked. Yeah. Like 20 minute walk. Yeah. 15 minutes. Oh, that's nice. 15 minute walk. Yeah, it was good. Okay. So you, you walked to work and I wouldn't imagine you listened to music. Did you? No, I did. I, I, um, music was free at that time. There was a thing called Napster. The original Napster right. made, made all music free for about a year, about eight months. And, um, yeah, I had an MP3 player and hit earbuds. And, yeah. Okay. All right. So you were the MP3 and Napster. This is really circa 2001. I like it. Yeah. Um, so you're listening to some music. Uh, and what are, are you, what you do you do as you go to work? Are you setting the stage for the morning of 9-11? I'm setting the stage for what your life was like. I'm curious. Okay. I'm trying to get yeah, you. So, I'm so using yeah, the method of, general. Okay. I'm kind of hacking the method of Loki to get you in the mindset ah, to, okay. to actualize more of the day. Okay, cool. Great. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I would, um, I would usually not be in a rush. Um, sometimes I was in a rush as I, as I referenced a second ago, but usually it was, um, not so much when you started as, as, as what you did. Um, so, um, so what was, what would you do is you roll into the office and what would you do? You were coding, you were running um, meetings. What were you doing? What was your day? And how stressful was it? Sometimes it was stressful because we had this thing where we would meet these huge project deadlines. Um, everything was kind of, so there was no, um, you know, the, the programming language libraries weren't finished yet. So you just kind of mix, you just kind of made shit up. Like PHP, for example, like it was like PHP 3.0 or 2.6 or something. And it was like, a bunch of stuff just wasn't done with the language. So you kind of like couldn't really use it for everything, but you could use it for like some stuff. Then you right. use Perl. <laughs> you like, you use like different stuff. Table. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of like what work was like, I think for people trying to make software, for people trying to make websites, complex websites, it was um, haphazard and, and random and re- very hacky. hacky. It was super yeah. hacky. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So my day was, um, so I, I'd get in there and, I was really into this game called Unreal Tournament, which was one of the first oh, yeah, multiplayer really FPS games. 
Yeah, it was the first Unreal Engine, right? Yeah, it was the first one. And it was like, for me, I think it was, it was one of the first two that were like huge that people played like all over the world with each other simultaneously, which is like normal now. But really back then, mostly people who played that were some college kids, but mostly it was people that worked at like tech startups and digital because we're the only ones that had T1 like super fast mm -hmm. connections and like really nice computers and no one could do it on a desk, a laptop back then. You had to have a desktop. So we had like nice computers and um, there were 300 people at my agency. So there was like a Toronto team, a San Francisco team and a New York team that we would battle each other in Unreal Tournament. Like that's really cool. Team capture the flag kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that was part of my day. I mean, it wasn't always how I started my day. Um, usually it was more like the afternoon or evening, but sometimes. Um, yeah, and I, I did, um, I was like a, I started as like a, a front end developer, but then I started doing um, ASP programming and then I started doing like information architecture, just like wireframing and stuff like that. So it's just basic like web development design stuff. Yeah, and back in the day, so you were, and well, startups usually have a culture of wearing multiple hats, um, but it, back then, I mean, that was probably a requirement, especially with all the hacking and everything. Yeah, like we hadn't really defined, like there was no, there was no term UX design. That didn't I was gonna say there wasn't a UX designer. I was there just going to say that actually. There was like an information architect and a, which was more like a traditional like workflow diagrammer. Yeah. Or, a, there, or a data guy. Or data guy too. Yeah. And then there was, you know, web designers and web developers and project managers. And like, you just, we, we just all figured it out together. I think that's, that's how great. UX design works. <laughs> yeah. It's how it should work anyways. Um, yeah. True. So, okay. So then at night, would you, were you mostly like, living up what was your uh, how, let me let me rephrase this because i want to uh frame my question properly um what was your typical way of getting the new york experience mm, right well um i don't know there was just a lot of places right around where i lived where there were just cool cool spots to just kind of poke around and hang out and I mean, there were, like, there were dozens of them. So, you know, it was kind of just, yeah, I guess connecting with people that had lived there or lived there. And so connecting uh, with people in bars and cafes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't, I was in an office full of like 150 people that were between the, you know, I was like 26 at the time. So there was about 150 people within a few years of that age range. Um, so that was the main thing. And then, yeah, like in my neighborhood, in the Lower East Side, there were certain people you would, you'd recognize and see repeatedly. And I just knew like randomly other people from before I moved to New York that like lived in the area. The thing that um, <clears throat> I admittedly haven't spent nearly enough time in New York City, but I've been there uh, a few times for work. But the thing that uh, struck me was how much of almost a neighborhood feel you get when you live in a block for long enough, Yeah. right? And yeah, like, totally. I didn't, I didn't understand. Someone told me this, they lived in New York when I was there once. And I didn't understand that until like living here in San Diego and I live on one of the beaches and I'm starting to see like the same people over and over again, like when I'm mm. walking the dog and stuff and they'll like wave to me and like, you know, before you know, you're like, I haven't started having conversations with people, but in New York city where you're constantly you're closer, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're brushing up against each other. I can understand that more where you just kind of see people and it's just, I mean, like, Hey, what are you doing? Absolutely. And it, 
and it's an interesting thing of a city of a mega city to get something like that, you know? Yeah, it is interesting. And I think you can, there are various levels to which that happens based on how you like structure your life. Cause you can certainly spend a lot of your time outside of your neighborhood. Um, and I did actually, cause I, I had just various destinations, um, uptown and, um, you know, in Brooklyn and so on. My, uh, my, <clears throat> my partner at the time was, you know, originally from, uh, Brooklyn mm. and, um, we were both really into art and she'd been an art student. So we were at one point after I, <clears throat> after I, I finagled my, my way into getting fired on purpose so I could collect bonus 9-11 unemployment insurance extended <laughs> okay which i used to go live in hawaii um i uh That's we went to the, i went to the met the metropolitan museum of art we went 30 days in a row every single day we said we'll That's never awesome. have this opportunity to do this and we've been, we'd been there a bunch of times and we'd seen that we'd never been able to really get it and we felt frustrated and we also felt that we needed to start from prehistory to the modern day, which is what that museum gives you the opportunity hmm. to do. You can look at art from every time period in every part of the world, um, and you can work your way through time. And so we did that, and um, yeah, we a few hours a day, you know, three or four hours a day, and um, you know that certainly took me out of my neighborhood, but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I, I really enjoyed hearing that. I didn't know that about the Met either. The yeah, it's a timeline it's, thing. It's a spectacular collection or set of collections. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. There's so the, when you were when you were living in New York, you went to the Catskills too, where you are now. Yeah. Area. Yeah. 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 We. Um, I had my my car, which I'd driven out from California, which is where I'd moved from. I parked it in Poughkeepsie, which is where Vassar is, which is upstate. And you can take the train from uh, Grand Central Station and it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something. So that kind of sets you, it, as opposed to trying to park your car in um, Manhattan if you're not rich, which I wasn't. So that was like, you know, 40 bucks a month in uh, parking lot fee. So I just pick it up in Poughkeepsie and um, <laughs> Poughkeepsie. <laughs> I used to call it Poughkeepsie for fun. <laughs> it just that that's like a launch pad into the Catskills. It's like right there, really close, right across the river. I love your chutzpah. Like in the time that we've been talking, you've already mentioned that you lived in California, uh, New York City, and Hawaii. And the, yeah, that the, was the, that was the, the highly, how you do it or is transient. Great. <laughs> that was a transient, right? Yeah, right. That I did, I did, I did move about with chutzpah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I enjoy hearing it. Um, okay, so. You're no, you're no stranger to quick movements, it seems like, or uh, paradigm changes. I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah, it seems like you, you live it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not, probably not as like, impressive as I'm, uh, you're making me, making me out to be. But yeah, I think I, I, think I have experienced it. You know, whether I've thrived or dived, I think is another question. Yes. Oh, I and take the take this to heart. I think that you are all the more interesting than I, I'm even expressing in this conversation. <laughs> uh, I, I just pull out one obscure literature refer, reference, then you're going to have a whole fractal dive of information that I'm just never going to have heard of before. 
um, amongst other Sometimes. greater attributes that you have, Mr. Rowan. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. We all have our, 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 this is a very moments, but... interesting interview actually speaking of which. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Me too. Um, I, oh, I'm happy to hear that. I was going to ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay. So you went to the Catskills. You would, so you yeah. would go occasionally, right? Like you mentioned that you would go like on vacation and whatnot, just kind of hike and boop around. It's just, just weekend. Just like, yeah. just chill out. Just, you know, in the, when the weather was nice, it's just mm. the city, the city's kind of like oppressive after a bit. So you just, yeah. That's just great. Escape for a little bit. Um, okay. So you're, let me, let me get this. So you're, you're living in the Lower East Side. You're uh, living and working very nice, close to each other. You're, it seems like you're really getting into the New York City culture. Um, of just knowing it, you know, seeing everybody and walking around and kind of having that uh, Seinfeld life, right? Uh, very like, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I was ever like a native like that because that they to me feel like they're like true like natives, and I, I think I was more like a visitor. But yeah, you're very I mean, transient. I, yeah, no, but you transient. take on the culture in the way that I would say that it's it's similar. I'm trying to like fill a glass to understand like a good picture, and I feel like that's that's a good one. You're moving around a lot. You're Sure. Most of what you're doing is moving and talking to people and you're kind of enjoying like the, yeah. the outer loudness that is that, that much, much of a concrete jungle. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So what was that like September 12th? Uh, was there any of that? Was there any of the walking around, going to oh, cafes, no. seeing people? <laughs> no, 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 no. There was nothing like that. The only place you would go is to donate blood at the hospital. Maybe to go like get emergency supplies. So but September no... 10th, you're going and get a bagel on your way to work. Yeah. September 12th, the only place that you can go is to go donate blood. Pretty much. Or the pharmacy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What was the look on people's faces? Did you see anybody? Was there anybody on the street? Yes, there was a lot of people out to donate blood. More, there was much more blood than they could accept. They were having to turn people away. There are long lines of people being turned away because it was the only thing you could do. There was no internet. There was no TV. There was no radio. There was radio. There was like emergency radio. But there was really like, there was no work. There was no... Leaving. So you didn't have any internet? <laughs> Did not have any internet. Why is that? Um, because a, my provider's network was down. Hmm. So my provider was out. I can't even remember what my provider was. But it was out. It was out for 48 hours. Hmm. Maybe a little bit less than that. I think it came. Some people, I did have a cell phone. I think it was out. Yeah, I had, I had a um, a track phone, a a track flip phone, I think. Like a a razor or something. Um, It's definitely services out of 9 11. I can't remember. I can't remember if it came back on the 12th or not. Interesting. And the only, no television. There was no television. They got it back at some point. I can't remember if it was, I think it was the next day. I think it was the 12th and it was, yeah, it was just the news channels basically. All, wow. That was all there was. This is the, the, the broadcast news channels. Uh, yeah. 
Now, there might have been different media experiences. I imagine so. I imagine some people had providers that stayed up and yeah how but far that was from my where experience you... i felt cut off what's that oh i mean that that's very cut off yeah. um was there like if you looked outside your window would you be able to see people walking around um yes yes because people needed to people actually did need to go to the pharmacy and then at a certain point stores started to reopen and people needed to, you know, people needed to get food. So your bagel place wasn't open? Um, pastry place? I don't think the bagel place was open. The Israeli cafe, I think they opened after a few days. Um, there were like grocery stores and corner stores that opened up though. There was a corner store across from my apartment building. So, what did you do in that from what did you do on September 12th? I want to go back, but I want I'm curious as to what you did on September 12th. I um, sat in my apartment and waited for the TV to come on. And I, I think I was able to make phone calls. So I was able to call very, like I called my parents and one of my siblings, I think. And we just, yeah, we were able to start, we started to be able to call people at a certain point. So we did a bunch of calls and we kind of like made plans and just planned on how to, we were scheming, trying to figure out how to get off the island. So we were like, that was what a lot of it was. We, we figured out that all the bridges were closed and all the tunnels were closed, but we, it took us a while to piece it together. So we were trying to like figure out how to get off basically because we didn't really know what was next. Did you feel panicked? I was in shock. I didn't feel panic. I think I, I think I was in shock. And for some reason, I didn't panic. It felt like too big to panic. Hmm. Um, so, no, I don't think I did panic. Some people did. Sure. A lot of people didn't, though, actually. Huh. What... Um, um, what was your plan to get off the island? Um, you just plan, got off the phone with your sister, your parents. Yeah, like we were like I think one 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 idea we had was to go down to the docks and see if there are any like boats that we're gonna cross to like Jersey or whatever, <laughs> um, or Long Island. But the plan was to get up to uh, my my partner's aunt's house she lived up in the Catskills and so she lived out in the country it was like safe secure and that's what we did but I we didn't do it until I believe September it was either the 14th or the 15th might have been the 14th and at that point they opened up the George Washington Bridge which is how you get up to the Catskills so you're able to leave the island how'd you get across the bridge uh, just just a normal way just driving I mean just took the normal route and drove. Um, yeah, that was pretty straightforward, that part. Okay. So September 10th, you're getting a bagel on your way into the office. Mm-hmm. September 15th, you're driving across the George Washington Bridge to go hide in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So what was, I believe like the tower, first tower got hit at like eight something in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. 
So what were you doing? Were you even awake when it first happened? Um, I was like half awake and I was in, I believe I was in bed still um, when the first one hit and it, it woke me up. The sound and, of it hitting? Yeah. Yeah. The sound of it hitting. You could hear it. You hear the, pl- well, I think either that or just the sound of the plane. The plane what did it loud. sound like? Um, it sounded like a, like a big, I well, just, yeah, it was, it was, it sounded like a loud kind of, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, like a loud jet engine that was stressed or strained kind of, uh, more so rattling. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, just more, more so than you might expect from a, a loud, almost like jet. a, like a big fan. You know, there was, there was like that, there was a whooshing sound or a fan sound that I remember from some point that day. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure when, but at that point, yeah, it was like, um, after, it, after it collided, I, it wasn't loud enough for me to hear from my apartment. So I didn't really know what was going on. So I woke so up. You heard like a jet engine screech almost. I heard like a, just, a, yeah, like a super loud jet Roar. engine doing something. And then like a, like a boom, but I didn't really know what it was because it didn't make sense to me. So I wasn't really sure what it was. I just heard these, these random noises basically. Hmm. Part of that was, you know, just waking up. But part of it was just, it just didn't make sense. You're like, what would that be? Why would that happen where I am? You know? What did you do next? Um, I got up for a little bit and I just, I just ignored it and did a couple things, I think, to get ready. And then I heard like people, shrill voices on the street down below. I was about four stories up off of Orchard. And um, I just looked down and then people seemed to be walking faster than normal. And I was like, what's going on? So I just ran downstairs and uh, just to go to work, you know, that was, and, so you're going in early that day because of this? Yeah, I was curious what was going on. So maybe I got downstairs a little, little bit after nine. And, you know, sometimes I went in at that time, so it wasn't that weird. But, um, yeah, so as I went along the way after a couple blocks, I just got this vantage point. I came around a corner, around a tree in a corner, and the sky opened up, and I saw the plane stuck into the building, and I saw the smoke, and... And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I didn't know. But other people had been up maybe since it hit. I saw this maybe it was already 45 minutes. And they'd already figured out exactly what was going on. I didn't know. But there were people already reacting emotionally to it. Like they'd been informed. They'd had time to think about it. They'd had time to talk about it with other people on the street. And they were already in panic mode or flight mode or anger mode. And I was like, what's going on? So interesting. So as you're walking, I want to, I want to understand the imagery really quick. So you're walking in after this is happening and there's a clearing in the buildings and you can mm-hmm. see the trade center with the yeah. tail of it out. Yeah. Wow. Yep. 
Wow. You know, I, uh, it's easy for me to imagine like where the sky clears up, you know, when you're walking in a downtown area, especially mm-hmm. Manhattan. I mean, Manhattan is, I don't know, many places in the world like that, uh, maybe like outside of Asia, but, um, you know, like seeing the cloud or like the sky open up and seeing blue with the backdrop of smoke and a plane coming out of it. I mean, it's, it's kind of making my thoughts kind of stop at it for a moment. That's, that's, mm. that's interesting. Okay. So you see this, what was your first reaction when you saw that? Did you stop and stare? I did. I stopped and stared at it. I thought it was spectac- spectacular in a really scary way. I wasn't really, my first thought was that this is some kind of freak accident. It's not, it's, terrible but it's not like a no idea of the scope of it like none I, you couldn't even conceive of it being this active like terrorism essentially so before we go any further on september 11th when did you get your first jolt of adrenaline what caused it was it waking up and hearing the jet engine no it was when i realized from other people's reactions finally that it hadn't been a terrorist attack that's what gave me the jolt of adrenaline before that it was just a random plane that randomly crashed into the world trade center but you know a building right or it wasn't really that it was like it was i don't know what's going on right i'm not sure that's what it was i mean that's a really foreign experience Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. okay so when, when did you, when, what, what person initiated that response? There was a, a van that belonged to the New York NYFD, the New York fire department. So like a van, not a fire truck and the van had you know it was stand you know it was it had the markings of the fire department so red and it was open in the back and there were f- about six firemen in it and um i saw that driving down the road and they had a big speaker in the back and they were playing a, fa- a frank sinatra song about new york um did the classic one mm-hmm. it's not the new title york. Con- exactly yeah, i think it's just called new york new york i think it's just called new york new york so they're playing new york new york and there's this guy walking down the street with like a tank top and he didn't look like the kind of guy that would normally be carrying a flag but he was carrying a huge american flag and he gave him this kind of salute like he raised his arm and gave him a salute and they saluted him back and uh then I started hearing all these ambulances, like in the distance, like lots of them. And then that was the first inkling that I thought something like foul play was involved just by seeing that reaction. And then I, then I talked, to, I stopped to talk to someone and they, they, were, they weren't really sure. And then I passed someone else when I got into Little Italy. And I'm not saying this is part of Little Italy, but just geographically, that was about another few blocks. And they said, I heard them one saying to another, we should just go over there and end this and drop a bunch of eggs. 
He just dropped a bunch of eggs all over the Middle East. He meant nuclear bombs. He was like, this is enough. We're done. We're just going to end this. And then I realized, and then someone at that point, lots of people were, I heard terrorist attack, terrorist attack. So then I knew, and then I was, then I just, then I booked it to the office. Then I went straight to the office. A few remaining blocks. Wow. Just kind of picked it up from the street, just random stuff on the street. Interesting. Drop a bunch of eggs. Yeah. Okay. That I mean that was a that was a very common response. Um, okay, so now you I would imagine running to the office because you you had a roof, right? Did you go there to the roof of your office first? Um I went there because I really wanted to know what was going on. And that was where I thought I could find people that I would trust the most to figure out what was going on and to figure out what to do. It felt like the safe thing to do. Um, Cause I, at this point I still wasn't sure what was going on. I just knew that there was something wrong and it, mm-hmm. maybe it was, maybe it was a terrorist attack. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like it was safer though. Um, hmm it was closer than my apartment was to where the, uh, where the plane had hit. And at this point, no one had any idea that a building was going to come down. It was just a plane in the building. So it was a bad thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't that scary. It was just like really shocking. Basically it's when Hmm. the building came down that it got really scary. Describe that. I was standing <clears throat> on the roof of my office. So it was in between Broadway and Grand, about a block north of Canal Street. And the office building was one of these old Soho warehouses that spans the whole city block, kind of narrow and four or five stories. And that's where <clears throat> we, my company rented, rented the whole building. And so we had access to the roof and the roof was kind of like a hangout area. And um, so I run up on the roof and I'm with one of my colleagues there. Um, This woman named Nicole. And Nicole and I were like, what? We were just to each other. We were like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? And this is so scary. And then we were just looking at it. We're just staring at it. We're standing next to each other. And it started, we could see the top start to fall a little bit and a little bit more. And then the whole thing just started to come down. It was, we didn't know if there was a bomb. We, most people thought a bomb had been set off for that to happen. They didn't realize that the plane was a de facto bomb. No idea of that. So it seemed like it was a, a huge bombing. And you know, it would have been conceivable if you don't know much about war and war technology to believe that someone had set off a small nuclear bomb. I mean, it was like this huge thing being exploded. Um, so we kind of, everyone just kind of ran for the door to go off the roof. <laughs> it was <laughs> like that, that was a true moment of panic. And then, yeah, that's because you was, saw the ring of like explosion and the ring of a uh, force that just kind of came out. Um, so you see like it blows up and it starts collapsing down and you guys all just think something happened and you run to the door. Yeah. I mean, there's this dust coming up, so it's forming this huge cloud and I think it probably just evoked explosion. So it didn't, 
that's probably the thing that most evokes the explosion. Now you could barely make out people jumping off beforehand um, from where I stood, but it was almost that was something I don't think I really could process. I, I thought at first I thought it was rocks or like objects falling off the top. And I realized later that in my mm-hmm. mind, the top was crumbling really slowly and it took a long time for the whole thing to come down, but really it was just people jumping off. Mm-hmm. And then it came down, which was pretty intense to realize. Where were you when you realized that? Um, I think I was, I think I was in Hawaii by that time. I think I was gone. It took, it took me a long time to realize that. And that's probably what, six months later? Yeah, yeah. Can you recall that image? Like, it, was it like that where you were like, "Oh my God, I now understand what happened." And what? How did you? How did you process that? I'm just curious how you processed that. That's really what I'm asking. Um, <clears throat> I had pre-processed it because I had heard about that happening, and I had thought to myself that, um, you know, what a, kind of it was. This was kind of like a maybe semi-manufactured trope that was going around the media to try to, to bolster morale. But I had thought to myself that these people at least had a choice and they took their choice rather than burning alive. They decided to, you know, fly off this massive building. And so in that last moment, they, they exercised a little bit of choice and um, kind of a horrifying choice, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, some did- people chose to do nothing and, almost made it apparently, but I don't think anyone actually made it when the whole building collapsed. We had the second plane already hit at this point. Yeah. Did you see that? The second plane had already hit. Um, I missed that for some reason. I think I was in the office. I can't remember. I can't remember the sequence. How did you find out about that? Uh, Just by going up to the roof and people talking about it. Like once it was two planes, yeah, it became like an instant. Like what we were doing is just trying to accumulate all the information we could, and um, yeah, so that was I found out about that from my office mates. When did you first go to the internet? I believe I had internet access. That day. That day. That day. When did you first go to the internet that day? I can't remember. Do you I, remember I going to the internet that day? No. I okay. don't. Do you remember getting any media that day? No. I don't remember getting any media that day at all. I mean, the Do morning you- paper had already been delivered, but. Do you Nothing suspect that you did get any media that day? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Okay. And I just, I'm just, I'm just blanking out because I was probably shocked. Shock. It's, it's been a long time. But yeah. Yeah. When did you find out about the other planes that day? Oh, you know, I found out in the evening, I guess, but through, probably through word of mouth, but. Um, yeah, I was. I, I'm not exactly sure. Probably the evening, and there were 
police stations throughout the city. So there was information being circulated that way. There were, there were tanks. There was a tank on my street corner on the corner of uh, Stanton and Houston. So when did you I, notice that getting there? I noticed it um, the first day. So what I did, I noticed it on September 11th that after the, I think they came that evening, maybe they came the next day, but I, I you know, I would, I was outside cause I wanted to periodically walk around and see what's going on, talk to people. So I saw it as soon as it was up. I think it was probably the next day, next morning. Okay. That's interesting, man. What a shock. It's also so foreign to think about living before having the internet in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I could very much easily suspect that I would get a notification telling me what's going on. If there was an attack of this magnitude that was occurring, you know, from my, yeah, my own provider and it'd be, you know what I mean? A text message, right. Let alone going on Twitter or whatever bullshit. Um, yeah. That's interesting. The reflex of that was why I was asking if if you checked the news because I was curious is if if it was even a reflex or it doesn't even it doesn't seem as it was. It wasn't really a reflex to check the news on my phone. I well, did didn't have, have a phone. You didn't have a phone that was capable of internet like that, did you? And if you did, I mean, was I that, did was in that Hawaii. Even? I did have a phone with with data with a data connection in Hawaii. And it was like a really simple phone. You could, it had like a real, just like a really crude native browser. Right. And I remember, I remember checking the Blazor scores on it. Nice. It was like yeah, the those Nokia's. Those no- it, Nokia's around that time had like really nice little internet. Yeah. Browsers. Real it simple, was, it was a, it was a, it wasn't use, nice but, like that. What's that? Oh no, they were horrible to use. No, they wasn't, yeah. but it was like so cool at the time where it's like, oh my God, dude, I'm going on the internet. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So what, when did you leave the office mm. and how did you eat lunch that day? Let me go with that first. Did you eat breakfast and, and did, what did you eat for lunch? Mm, I didn't eat breakfast and I do not believe I ate lunch. Pretty sure I didn't eat either one. <laughs> when <laughs> that did was you my leave, approach. When did you leave the building? So the, I left the, the building tower falls, a, did you leave the building then? About 11 o'clock. So I stayed for a little bit to try to get as much info as I could. I called my partner um, in the apartment and I just debriefed everything to her and then was like, okay, I'm gonna be over there in a little bit. And I just basically ran back there. I just got a little bit more information. I'm not sure what else I did. There was a few, a few, a few people I wanted to talk to before I left just to make sure I had all of my points of information and communication set up. I think we were trying each other's phones and they weren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But yeah, I think I, I was there for about an hour and then I, then I went back maybe 45 minutes and I rushed back to my apartment. And then did you leave your apartment after that? Yeah, I left my, not for a while. I left my apartment in the, in the evening just to walk around and see what was going on. Um, maybe once or twice. That's probably the first time I left just to recon mission. Hmm. when did the military start shutting everything down it wasn't until the next day because they just weren't there so it was chaos you know the 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 day of the rest of the day was like basically people were setting up 
ways to help each other just organically kind of anarchistically essentially anarchically and um what do those look like they look like information tables food tables water tables first aid tables set up on the sidewalk um set up at intersections uh in empty lots that kind of thing regular people regular people just neighborhood people just yeah volunteer based spontaneous volunteership essentially hmm. i never heard that before yeah i saw a few tables like that there's just people who just set them up and just started because it was like you know imagine like by the time noon hits you've already had you've already figured out what's going on and you've already been in shock and then you're like okay we're just sitting here with no input there's no there's no cable news feed so let's go outside there's no internet. See, again, I'm not sure that there was no internet, but for me, there wasn't. But for, maybe for a lot of people, there was. It was just like, let's go do something. Let's let's do something. Figure something right. out. So, what was the rest of that? You said it was chaos. Like, what? Did, what was the? So, from noon until you have your. Did you eat that day? Um, I think in the evening I ate like crackers or something from my shelf but nothing substantial enough. Okay. So from noon until you had a half a sleeve of saltines, right? What were you doing? And what was, what, um, I want to know what you were doing, but I want to more so know what the energy of the street was like. Mm. If there's tables around. I see the tables. Are there mm-hmm. people coming to them? Are there, are there people just walking around aimlessly? You know, what is the beat of the street? The beat is confusion, mostly. There were definitely people coming to the tables. The tables I remember had water. That was like one of the big features. So there was water um, and lots of people needed it. And it was kind of like de facto first aid. I think mostly it was like, you need to go to the hospital. You just need to like have an interaction with another human. Right. Clean up your scrapes. Yeah, so there's a lot of people wandering around um, just covered in dust and shocked. And they were all over the place and they were like zombies. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. So some of them would just wander up to these tables and they would be given water. And they would be like told like, okay, wait here or there's a hospital up here. You know, go four blocks and take a right. Um, So you're just seeing people in like everyday clothes, suits, a lot of people in suits because With that's the, covered in dust. The common attire by the trade center. Yeah, exactly. Covered in dust. A lot of people in suits. Uh, How far of a walk are you from the trade center? Um, my office is about uh, 10 minutes, eight minutes. And, wow. Um, yeah. My, my apartment's probably like uh, 25 minutes, 20 minutes. Wow. Like so a lot of people aim just aimlessly walking. Yeah. A lot of other, what are the road than people in your neighborhood doing? Are they in the street or are they in their apartments? I think most of them are in their apartments, but uh, as I was uh, stepping out periodically to try to figure out what was going on, talking to other people, um, maybe going, I had believed the corner stores might've been open actually. I think they just stayed open. That's the thing. There was no, it wasn't like with COVID lockdowns where, there was legislation or executive mandates like controlling stuff like that. It was just, 
it was the first day. So it was just, you know, you just did whatever you wanted, basically. I'm sure anyone mm-hmm. probably could have opened it if they wanted to. But mostly it was just people helping everyone else and managing the shack. That was definitely like the prevailing thing and just kind of lots of confusion. And, there was, you know, some people were emoting a lot. Some people were, weren't. Some people were Did you angry. witness any anger? Yes. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, I, I saw the guys wanted immediately, like, we're going to drop some eggs. Um, witness a lot of anger, like, especially the next day. Like, um, you know, most of the, uh, most of the shopkeepers in the Lower East Side at that time were, not most of them, but a substantial number of them and a substantial number of taxi drivers were people of um, Middle Eastern descent and or of, um, you know, pot, uh, wearing Muslim clothing. So whether or not they were Muslims or from the Middle East, I don't know. But so there's a lot of people that definitely um, became the instant target of anger. And you can almost kind of feel it. Did you witness any of that? Um, yeah, I witnessed the hostility. I didn't witness any like direct acts of violence though, but I witnessed them. No, I did actually. I did. I did witness people being yelled at. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I witnessed that in Manhattan actually. Hmm. Um, yeah. And that group of that, those groups of people were pretty affected by it. You could tell they were scared and defensive. Do you remember the what the time on the clock was the last time you looked at it before you went to bed that night? No, I have no idea. Do you know if you remember keeping time? I don't remember keeping time. Um, I don't think I probably stayed up until one or so, but I don't. I don't really remember. Well, were you hearing people in the street when you went to sleep? No, I think most people were inside at that point. Um, was it easy for you to fall asleep? No, because there were sirens going almost all night. And there was this incredibly strong smell of all the burning bodies and all the chemicals that were burning as well, wiring and so on. And that smell of, yeah, like, like, basically burning office supplies and, and burning clothing, all these like weird synthetic artificial chemicals and as well as human bodies, it just kind of like took over the, the air. So I didn't sleep too well, kind of like slept. I think I remember sleeping fitfully. Hmm. Well, what was, um, what was it like and when did the military move in or just when did the state take control of the streets? Mm. They took control the next morning on, as I remember, I'm Were not you, the most reliable source, but the September. We're going 12th. off an eyewitness here and I'm, I'm doing some interesting questioning. So it's okay if you don't remember anything. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. I, th- I believe it was the morning of September 12th. I, I believe that was the first time I was, it became very clear that there were, there was like a strong state presence and they were starting to like, control the public space did you see 
troops when you woke up and look out, you looked out your window? I wouldn't put it that way. I did see, um, I believe it was National Guard um, manning the tanks, but like we're talking like two, you'd see like two people, maybe three people wearing uh, soldier fatigues, essentially. So when you woke up, there was people in fatigues on the street. Yeah, around the corner for me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What did you still hear sirens? Periodically, not 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 nearly as much at that point. Um, but yeah, periodically, yes. Was there anyone walking around your neighborhood? Yes, there were a few people walking around the neighborhood. Uh, people were going out to get food, so uh, that was there. Certainly, was no delivery, that I remember at least. I went to get food, actually. Um, Where'd you partner, go? My partner and I, we went to a store that was on the north side of uh, Houston in uh, East Village. And the East Village was like right across the street. I think we went, we stopped at a, um, like a pizza place and got a slice of pizza. And then. Did you talk to the guy at the pizza place? Um. No, he was, no, he didn't. I don't think he, I think he was too busy to have a conversation, but we did get it. We did get our mail because our mailbox was right there. And um, there was a postcard in the mailbox. We got it. And um, probably bought something else like magazines, just, you know, stuff to read. And uh, we got stopped by the police at the intersection so there were next to the tank there was new york's uh, nypd and they were the ones interacting with the public so um we got stopped by nypd and but it was right next to the tank so i had this like you know very authoritarian effect and they're like you you have to be able to prove that you live south of houston to go south of houston we had this postcard that was addressed to our address on the stand just down with you know 50 yards away so <laughs> Until we got past the tank. That postcard <laughs> saved you. Yeah. Good thing you checked your mail. Yeah, really. Really. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's the twelfth. Mm-hmm. And the pre like so you're getting internet sometime the twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah. You're kind of getting access to the world sometime around the twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah. Until then, you're just planning and bored. Um, yeah, I think it was too, we're too wired to be bored. Like you, you could just be sitting on the couch for like an hour and there wasn't really a feeling of boredom because it was a surreal situation. I mean, you could be sitting on the couch for four, no, you could be sitting on the couch for eight hours straight and then you would still wouldn't have felt boredom. You would have felt stimulation from this like otherworldly reality that just hit. It was like you needed more than a day to process. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever experienced that state again? No. No. I've never experienced anything like that. Not even close. Hmm. When when did you feel normal again? First feel normal again? Probably about 
three weeks after 9-11. So probably October. Where were you? I was back in the city and work had reopened. Um, but yeah, I was back in my apartment in Lower East Side going, going to work in uh, Soho. How long did you do that again before you left? Um, let's see. Four months, three months, three or four months. Why'd you leave? Um, so the dot-com boom happened, uh, had happened kind of. Yes, it had happened already. The explosion, I'm sorry, the dot-com boom collapse had happened, but 9-11 accelerated it. Um, now, because it had happened before 9-11, this is to permit me a, a slight digression that I think is on, on topic. Um, the company went from 300 people down to like 40 people, right? And it kept making the cut. And um, at that point, we were almost sold to Deloitte and Touche Wholesale as their digital agency, their digital arm internally. And they're off. We were going to be in the 40th floor of the first tower, the World Trade Center. That's where Deloitte and Touche was. That happened in July. So it was wow. to the point where they actually came in and I was interviewed by Deloitte. They interviewed all of us. They were just going to take all of us. That was the deal. But they wanted to at least, you know, meet the people quickly. Were the people that interviewed you working there? At Deloitte? Yeah. At the 40th were, floor? Yes, they were. That's where their offices were. They were, they were pitching it as a perk or as a, you know, part of the experience of working at Deloitte. Wow. So July 2001, Deloitte is about to buy your digital agency and, and is pitching you on the idea of working on the 40th floor of the World Trade Center one. That's right. Yeah. Wow. How many times did that thought pass through your head? Oh, plenty. Plenty. I mean, I, I thought it sounded kind of cool. I wasn't that into it, but... Um, you know, I thought been about up, the view. I well, I liked it. I'd been up to the to the uh, windows on the world a couple times. I'd been there that summer. I thought it was in. I thought I thought the fortieth floor view would be pretty nice as well. Yeah, I bet it, I bet it was. <laughs> wow, how many times did you think about that after? Oh gosh, probably uh, a, a few dozen times over the years. I mean, it's been nineteen years. So, were you thinking of that at all that day? No, it didn't occur to me that day. I was I was too focused on what was right around me. Yeah, it felt too important to panic. I really clung on to that when you said that. Yeah, yeah, it That's did. Interesting. Um, so you're planning to get out for like five, four, four days, five days. Mm -hmm. You get out. Oh, so wait, you, I don't know if you answered the question actually. So what, why did you leave New York City? So you said the agency oh. was was downsizing oh, right. and almost got bought and then yeah was this, so the, it was 9 was nail in the coffin the 9 11 was like, nail in the coffin it was it was just um it was just dreadful it all of a sudden it became like a really dreadful place to live I and mean, it was the ruins were there like the ruins were like smoking for what seemed like months and it just seemed terrible 
Like it was just all of a sudden like a depressing place to be. And, and the, you know, it looked like the economy was going to like completely blow up. I mean, it's 9-11 just really put the nail in the coffin of the, of the whole dot-com thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew that, you know, I, I just, I was like, let's get out of here. Let's, let's go to Hawaii. Let's like escape to another world that's beautiful and safe and no one's ever going to attack it out of the way. That's so that's why you went to Hawaii in particular. Yeah. Yeah. We took our time, you know, we drove across, spent like, I don't know, two or three months kind of just traveling across the U S and stopped in Colorado for a bit, California, uh, Eugene, spent like the summer in Eugene and then moved to Hawaii. So that's interesting that you, that was your uh, decision-making. What was your New York experience like in uh, October of that year before you, before you moved? So there's four weeks, three weeks before you move. What was your New York experience like and how different was it from that Mm -hmm. to when we first started the conversation in June? Yeah. You know, it was, um, What was the beat on the street? It was a little more communal and it was a little more dead. (laughs) Those things don't seem to go together, but people were more willing to make eye contact, but people were scared of doing too much and everyone kind of, kind of like was cautious relatively and willing to like look at you relatively there was a sense of connection briefly but people were really worried everybody was worried and it was um that was that was the feeling on the street i think the image that you're conjuring in my mind is of a rabbit yeah you know i don't yeah. like you know the rabbits, rabbits will look at you but they're always they're always ready to bolt yeah yeah that's interesting what was your experience like then? So if that's what the tenor of the city is like, how did that affect your mostly communal situation and how you lived? Mm. I mean, I think it, it made it um, bleak and, you know, it made it kind of tedious. Um, how so tedious? I guess just day-to-day activities felt uh, just more kind of less enjoyable and therefore more burdensome and therefore more tedious. Hmm. Interesting. What about going to a cafe or going to a spot to hang out? Did you do very much of that after you moved back and did others? Yes, but cautiously. Actually, that does kind of remind me of the summer with COVID. Yeah, kind of cautiously, um, not in as great numbers, but definitely. I mean, there's definitely, well, it's definitely like part of the, like the way the way that you would live. So certainly, it would be weird not to do that. I think. Um, so yes, and this is after all. This is when the the month long marathon to the Metropolitan Museum of Art happened. Not in October, but a little bit later. Hmm. So you started doing that right before you left. Yeah, that was like the last, the last month before we left. I think that was March. 
March or April, yeah. March. Oh, so you left you left in like March or April of two thousand and two. Yeah, it was March. I believe it was March. March. Okay. Yeah. So you were still worried about terrorist attacks following that. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. Um absolutely. It still felt like it was a target of the city of New York. Did you ever feel like you could relax or, and if not, when was the first time you felt like you could? Uh, I did feel like I could relax in the Catskills. Yes. It did. So feel not like, when you were in the city. Not when I was in the city, but the Catskills are not a target for terrorist attacks or it didn't Thank seem God. so as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> Unless there's some hidden bunkers. Um, yeah. I, I doubt it. I'm just being cheeky. Um, what I, uh, from October until March, could you relax in the city at all? No, not really. <laughs> what do you feel when you go to New York City now? And have you, I mean, I, I think you were there a year ago, right? <laughs> I was there a year ago. I was just there a week ago, actually, just briefly, for like 10 minutes. Um, I, I just, I mean, the first thing that hits me is that's just an amazing, amazing human creation always. That kind of supersedes anything to do with 9-11, to be honest. So that's my feeling when I go there. Um, I do certainly, I mean, I certainly do think about it. Um, I, I look at the new thing they've built and uh, yeah, I usually look for the skyline just to see see how it's different. So they it's... Had these, it's- Oh, go ahead. They had these awful uh, blue faux twin towers for the longest time. Like it must have been the whole, almost the whole time I was there. I think after nine eleven, for those few months, there was it was like big spotlight, big spotlights, huge spotlights. Yeah, they weren't awful, but they weren't great either. Well, it's interesting because I have that image of the spotlights, mm-hmm. but what I'm thinking now is the spotlights with smoke still coming. Yeah. Yeah, the smoke like yeah, flushing I, out the spotlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that was happening. It had to have been, right? If it was, because I know they put those up fairly not too long after. Not too been, long after, yeah. And the if it was smoking for several weeks, maybe in a month, two months, like, yeah. Right, right. Which I didn't know that it was smoking for that long either. That's... It makes sense, though. I mean, if in order for a building to get hot enough that it, it melts itself inwards like it did, it probably would be pretty unsustainably. I mean, it doesn't. It takes a lot to get rubber to burn. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. It takes a lot to get steel to melt. So, right. Um, that's a that's a self perpetuating cycle for that has probably a pretty long half life. Um, man, I I never heard about the tables coming up, the zombie people, the oh yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you, I mean, I have a very visceral image right now of what that, of walking the street would be, would look like, and to see people. Before you know, I ever saw it, yeah, bef- well, before I, this will add to that image, before I ever saw a table with the zombies, I saw the zombies just peeking over, so the westward, the roof of my office, the westward side on Broadway, this is one block north of the canal by the end stop. If you look down, 
so the trade, the World Trade Center is on Broadway. So it's the main route. It's the main route. So you just there's a huge horde of people. I'm not saying all of them were like zombified, but certainly there were those that were just covered in white, covered in white chalk and dust. Wow. Just and a lot of them were the discombobulated, just didn't really know what was going on. Didn't didn't know which direction to go. Wow. That, Probably lots uh, of people that should be under normal circumstances tended to by medical professionals in some way. Yeah, but when you talk about an instant, instant catastrophe and the magnitude of thousands, I mean, yeah. how many paramedics do you really have and how many do you have in a, a minute capacity? Right, um, right. Wow. Um, that's, that's a very strong image. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I won't forget that. It was too important to panic. It felt too big to panic. Isn't that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, you know, everyone, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, 9-11 was a, uh, definitely a national trauma, but it doesn't, it didn't, um, I don't think it affected all of us equally and it couldn't have because of the ways that it happened. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, you know, New York definitely felt the brunt of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to get, get my head around the idea that it was a national tragedy. It was like, what are you talking about? It was something that happened in New York and like some freak plane crash at the Pentagon. But I, I can see why it was. I, mean, I can see why it was super psychologically traumatic. Um, yeah, just like COVID. Before, I mean, COVID yeah. doesn't affect me, but you know, did affect New York City pretty badly too. Again, though, right? That's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's pretty That's interesting. True. Um, what? Uh, I mean, I guess was that a marker in your life? Still, is nine eleven still looked at in my life? You know, yeah. Um. Yeah. Nineteen. 19 years yeah. later is it is it a, is it the milestone marker that you use to judge that epoch of time mm, yeah i do divide things into pre and post you yeah. divide pre and post not not a not a milestone you divide things like before and after yeah i do yeah it's it's yeah there's highly contrasting worlds i think for me at least huh. yeah um did the event was it the event itself that made it contrasting or was it the zeitgeist within it um the zeitgeist within 9-11 or the zeitgeist yeah the zeitgeist of 9-11 so 9-11 happens i mean the world changed i mean it was it's definitely like i think i can make a pretty strong argument that the world we lived in before and the world we lived in after are quite different. yeah yeah, it was it was because of the the zeitgeist caused by nine eleven, consisting of um, just fear, you know, like culture of fear, politics of fear. Yeah, that that's definitely, you know, nine nine eleven was like the was kind of like the for me it was kind of like the end of the nineties, and huh. the nineties were just it was like this feeling of like massive opportunity and, and um, openness and freedom 
lack of fear there's tons of prosperity you know there's huge booming economy and new stuff happening you know the internet was completely new it was changing everything so um did your outlook on the world and the opportunities within it change Yeah, actually they did. I kind of realized that um, <laughs> I had more opportunities in a sense because I, re I realized that I realized that um, what it seemed absurd to me, which was to have my own digital agency that I could actually do. And then I actually did create one. It didn't last very long because I moved to Hawaii. <laughs> but um which is just because i wanted to do that more i was like i'm gonna i'd rather do this than that but yeah it gave me the sense that it was possible to um yeah just kind of the basic like possible to start your own business kind of thing i think on one level but on another level it just it made you think that you don't have to do business the way it's always been done there's like even, that was still a fairly a fairly unusual thing at that time like that you would you know most of the big digital agencies were were started by really well connected and probably really wealthy people and there was a bunch of them in new york city there's like 10 or 15 of them and they're all like it was all like some guy that was just super connected and probably born a multimillionaire and just you know launched oh, that, this yeah. thing so um it, so it felt solo. like there was a little more opportunity for the digital like proletariat mm -hmm. such as myself i think um yeah and i knew the world was messed up and i knew the economy would suffer but i still felt like there was there was some opportunity there there was like some things were changing and and you couldn't really count on um yeah just what people have been telling you for the previous few years that's really interesting. So you, and it's, I mean, that's beautiful, honestly, that you took that out of it. Cause I mean, you're not, you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur now. And yeah. it seems like that was a pretty important marker on the way to get to where you are now and killing it. Um, but also that you saw the opportunity amidst, amidst all the chaos and you didn't get lost in one, you sought the yeah. other. That's yeah. Really I, I, two, three months, four months later, we were, I was, I was technically moonlighting. I didn't tell my company about it, but yeah, I was in a bank, a Chase bank in Midtown doing the company formation paperwork and getting the That's bank. That's great. <laughs> with, my th with my three buddies, you know? That's great. And to be clear, it was a complete failure, but um, not a complete failure. Yeah, I did, I did, a, I did actually, it, yeah, no, actually, that no, wasn't a complete failure. I made money that I used to live on in Hawaii. So in that sense, it worked. That's not bad. It just no, was I mean, a short-lived, it was a short-lived adventure. Let's put it that way. That's okay. Most businesses are. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's, a, that, that's, uh, that's amazing. I think I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This yeah, was, of course. I, this has been fascinating. Actually, I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk at such length on the subject. It's un, unusual that it happens. People are sore about it. They're resistant to it for some reason, which is fine. But.
it's been it's been great it's a it's a hard event that caused a lot of other things to happen that is dedicated a day of the year and it's i just don't think people want to have the time for it you know it's yeah i mean it's not it's not a good thing it's not like I'm not fascinated with the event of 9-11 because it's a good thing and it's a happy medium. I don't get, I don't enjoy studying the Patriot Act, but um, I mean, I don't necessarily enjoy flossing, but I still do it, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And I think this is as important as a thing to keep in mind because of a lot of what you said at the beginning of this, which is a lot of what we're seeing now is a direct result out of, actions that happened from a massive traumatic event that you were able to describe as if, you know, we were on the street. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, this was, I, I definitely never, I mean, I'm sure I have put myself to try to put myself in the shoes of there. There was a great Dan 11 documentary that was just like mm-hmm. you know, scraped together all of those uh like handy cams or whatever cam recorders and police, you know, whoever had a, a, a recorder that submitted it to that project. And that's, that was really great. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think I quite understood. I, I always like to start trying to imagine something with what the feeling and the smell is. Yeah. Because it's usually the easiest thing. <laughs> and, and right now, like I'm thinking of the smell of soot and how like awful that is you know it's just it's like a chemical smell it's not good yeah it's toxic but to see people walking like zombies Mm -hmm. covered in it without any answers no access to your phone no answers no access to anything um and that people started popping up first aid tables you know and i mean like that i i could imagine why it took nine months if we're doing the, the calculation for you to get to Hawaii and have the ability to unpack all of this, to be able to really understand what you were seeing when, you know, right before the tower collapsed right. and understanding, right. like, I, I mean, I woke up, I lived in Chicago. I remember going mm-hmm. to school knowing that a plane hit the, the twi- that hit the towers. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember still we used school. To- yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I went to private school, so I don't think the public schools closed in Chicago. But I, went I to remember that the Sears Roebuck Tower was thought to be like a target. I remember that. I remember they shut down downtown. I remember they did that like around eleven or so. I remember mm-hmm. the teachers rolled TVs into the classrooms and had uh, the news on. Um, right. And I, I remember certain things like that, but it wasn't. Like it was a scary event and it was something that happened, but I was connected still. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't like every, like when the plane, I, I'll never forget. I was in like history class when the plane hit the Pennsylvania plane went down mm-hmm. and, and like they were getting news in and like every, just everyone stopped and we were listening to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like we were getting stuff. But to imagine being 15 minutes walk, 20 minute walk from the yeah. center of this and you're completely disconnected from everything you 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 don't right. know i mean dude like i'd be getting my paddleboard and i'd be i would be paddleboarding across the east river and i'd be getting the fuck out of there you know what i mean like and mm-hmm. I, you're not connected to anything right yeah um and i i would i never would have imagined that it's always going to be harder the more that i live in the world that i live in now with technology and internet it's going to be hard for me to imagine not being connected it's it is but yeah, that makes sense. While that is happening, it's even harder still to understand. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you, if you're ever disconnected now, it might be on purpose, like a, like a fast for a couple of days. That's different than being disconnected in a, a crisis. That seems pretty unlikely. Right. And the way that we felt it with COVID now <clears throat> is that there was a absence of information because no one knew anything about the virus. Mm-hmm. Right. So there wasn't that you weren't getting anything. It's just that you didn't know what you were getting. And there was a del- deluge of it's like too nonsense. much bad information. Yeah. Where, what you're nonsense. saying is just uh, right. Sorry, avoided inform- you were saying there's just a void, a void yeah. of information. There was yeah. Nothing. yeah. Man. Well, uh, I would love to have you back. <laughs> I'd love to be back. <laughs> I would love to have you back on uh, several different topics and maybe even just a rolling conversation or, or something like that. Uh, but I yeah. really appreciate you taking the time. It's been my pleasure, John. This has been um, this has been good. It's been good to to get this on tape, you know, to have something to to, to reference and maybe even for me to listen to. I'll, I'll actually look forward to listening to it. I I am too. Well, yeah. Thanks again. Let's let's wrap in a second. But uh, thank you again, sure. Ron. Okay. Thank you, John.